nine. You're listening to the Launchpad Podcast with J Man. Brought to you by Galant Media. Here's your host, Ignition J Man. I'm ready whenever you are. If everything uh, looks good from your end, hey, hold on, I got I got to put my mask on. Hold on. You're not going. I'm to do kidding. That. I'm kidding. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have one question to ask you. Sure. So, what do you do other than play around on podcasts in the internet? Uh, I'm yeah, a real world. I'm a former radio announcer of 17 years that oh. got the itch to get back into media and be able to do right. it independently, which I'm sure you yeah. can have an appreciation for. Yep. And I'm also a small business owner. Me and my business partner, we run trade shows, and we're obviously one of those industries. Not that many of those these days. No, and uh, we're out in Petawawa, and we do about 10,000 people through the doors in three days. And yep. you know, we're feeling the we're feeling the pressure as well. Yep. Not just in regards to the income that we're not making, but there's 140 vendors mm-hmm. that depend on us each and every year to go out there and and make a livelihood. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. not to be able to provide that platform for yeah. them right now is obviously really difficult for us as well. So were you involved with radio in the Ottawa area? or yeah. I worked at a station called The Bear. Then I oh, came yeah. back to Ottawa after being in Pembroke uh, for four years to work at a station called Dog FM. And then most recently, Rebel. I helped oh. them launch that rock station. Oh, well, very good. Well, let's rock and roll and be rebels uh, today and bears. Uh, yes, indeed. So obviously sitting down with Randy Hillier and he's an independent and he's also leading the charge of the no lockdown movement and also just started the end the lockdown caucus, uh, which we're going to talk about. Also, by the way, I got to remember, if you have not as of yet, Make sure that you head to youtube.com slash jmanislive for clips, and you don't want to miss this a little bit later on. You'll be able to find it at the launchpadpodcast.com. Now, you're obviously a very controversial individual. Uh, for yourself, you may not even see it as such. And I want to start off with asking you to tell me something about Randy Hillier that the average person doesn't know outside of politics. Well, listen, first off, I would say it's a pleasure to join you, Jason, and uh, look forward to uh, this conversation. Um, I am controversial in that uh, in today's society, unlike the society I grew up in, if you have an opinion and are willing to express it, you are controversial. Uh, And that's not, um, uh, I grew up in an era and time when people were expected to have an opinion and they were expected to think uh, before they express their opinion and, and, uh, but have the, uh, it's important to express one's opinions. Um, You you know, we are not uh, clones and we are not conformists. We're human beings. uh, And the, and there's parts of us that um, need to be expressed. So, um, I'll just say that uh, something about me that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll say, you know, I grew up in a, um, my both my parents are from Newfoundland. Uh, they came to Canada about a month before Confederation back in 1949. Um, grew up in a family with eight other brothers and sisters. And um, 
And my dad uh, started a, became a TV repairman and uh, uh, opened up a little TV repair shop in Ottawa on MacArthur Road. Uh, you might be aware where that is, down near San Juan Boulevard. And uh, um, nine kids grew up in a three-bedroom house um, with our TV repair shop uh, attached to it. And, uh, um, and that upbringing, I think, is, um, is what we know that that required a lot of perseverance, a lot of determination, a lot of hard work and ambition um, and, and love and compassion. And, uh, and that's, my, that's the start of, of me. Okay. And what would be the biggest misconception right off the top about who Randy Hillier is? Well, I think the biggest uh, misconception is um, the distortions that we see within the media. You know, I'll say to people, I've, I've been elected four times in this riding of Lanark, Frontenac and Kingston, often with well over 50% majorities. Uh, and, you know, in Lanark, Frontenac, Kingston, we have a lot of uh, independent-minded, self-reliant uh, entrepreneurs, farmers, mill owners, blue-collar workers. And for over 50% of those people to um, elect me over four different elections, I think we can say that my values align very closely with the values of the people of Lanark, Frontenac, and Kingston. Um, so, you know, I think what, the, what we see, if there is any misconceptions about me, it's how the media has distorted this view that people with opinions and who speak out and defend them ought to be considered rebels, ought to be considered rednecks and, uh, and conspiracy theorists and, and all these um, um, plethora um, of adjectives that are, um, don't reflect the people that I represent, nor do they reflect me. Right, okay, so there's the other side of the story. And I think I know the answer to this question. Do you care if people like you? Well, I don't want people to dislike me, but it's not right. a high on my priority list. Right. Uh, you know, if um, I've always felt that it's more important to uh, earn respect than it is to earn adoration um, or seek adoration. Um, you know, there are people who dislike me. Um, you know, I, I hold views that are not shared by, um, by people who are nihilists and people who want to destroy our society. And um, I'm, I'm not liked by, um, by socialists and, and um, you know, but that's okay with me. Um, right. You know, I don't dislike people who hold different views but I will debate and argue those and, mm -hmm. and also defend everybody's, you know, I understand this fully well, um, that public policy and the creating of public policy law requires a, a, a level of tension and adversity to, uh, to be in competition with one another 
if you want to get a good policy at the end of the day, you need to, somebody needs to put out a, um, a thought and it has to be tested and it has to be tested robustly. Right. Yeah, a healthy level of conflict. Yeah. Uh, okay, now, obviously the people that matter to you are the people that you're most concerned about. And Randy, like you're, you're killing me with these photos. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're killing me. So it's obvious that you have a, a large circle as we saw with your Christmas photo, yeah. right? And most recently, just a night out with the boys. Yeah. So do you think that this does more damage than good by sharing these photos? Let me just follow up with that. What's your intention when you're sharing these photos? That's a good starting point, Jason, is the intention. And, and let me frame it this way. I know that there is a great number of people in this country who do not share the government's narrative and the public health narrative that we should be fearful and that we should be living in isolation and confinement and that we should be living without freedoms or constitutional protections and that this uh, COVID is, is the greatest threat to mankind. There's a great many people that recognize the evidence doesn't support that narrative, right? But, they, but we also understand this, that the, there are many people, doctors, police, uh, politicians, by the, by the, by the many, um, uh, academics, teachers, um, who would like to speak out against this, but they're fearful of being marginalized at their work or, be, or they're fearful of, of actually losing their job um, or being kicked out of caucuses. Um, and, and they're fearful of the displaying and the public shaming that the mainstream media and the, and the, uh, and the trolls on social media will come at you. So, so, we're not getting a healthy debate. We're actually suffocating and preventing dissenting views from being heard. And, so, and that's what those pictures demonstrate is what, other, what everybody else is doing, Jason, what so many people are doing. But, but, and I want to, them to have the courage to do similar and and say, no, this is a free country um, and, and I have the freedom to express myself. I have the freedom to meet with my friends and my loved ones. Um, and, and I'm also free to accept the judgment and the public shaming because I grew up in a time when we knew um, sticks and stones may break my bones, Jason, but names are never going to hurt me. So uh, let's uh, free, we, we need to have a healthy debate and we can't do that unless we are confident in ourselves and are free to express ourselves. Okay. So one of the follow-up questions I was going to ask was, do you understand the anger and you've expressed that you know why there's anger because you just have a, a different view than would be considered the norm or, or conventional. But I will ask this, are you not afraid that these photos give them, you know, the powers that be, more firepower. For instance, uh, just the optics, the perception that 
they're going to use this as an example to personify that there's obviously private gatherings going on. And we hear these numbers all the time in regards to 50% of people gathered over Christmas, 30% of people gathered over Christmas, just these made up numbers. I mean, because no one's calling them other than you, Randy, to let them know where you're at, right? No one else is doing that. So I think what they do is that they're obviously, they're taking situations like this. And now these become the beacons as to the private gatherings and things of that nature. Do you feel differently? Well, we know that's all bullshit. Okay. Right. And let's, and let's call it for what it is. Okay. Um, you know, for 11 months or 10 months, I've been quite public um, and, and vocal about my opposition. I have attended multiple, multiple protests and gatherings and, um, and, uh, and I've shook hands and hugged and, uh, and, and I've done all these things um, over the last year. And I still don't know a single person who has a single symptom from COVID. Okay. Um, now, that's not to say it doesn't exist. Right. But let's recognize that the people who are at risk from COVID are people who are very elderly who are very frail and have significant other health illnesses that are in long-term care. Uh, These people are who are at risk from this respiratory virus. Mm -hmm. Not me, not you, um, not anybody who has come over to my house has ever reported back on any COVID symptoms or any positive cases. Mm -hmm. So so I, I, I put that out. Um, just how bloody dangerous is this if I can um, do everything that I've done and still not have any symptoms any uh, and, and nor anybody that I know. Okay. So let's move into the bigger picture, which is the no more lockdown movement as a whole. Yeah. Okay. And right off the top, looking through the major points of why we should not be in lockdowns, not a risk to most. That's right off the top. Uh, Inaccurate testing, which we also know to be true. Like this is just factual stuff. This is not me picking sides. Uh, Forced business closures. So not just that, but you're closing the chapters on people's lives as well. People are losing their homes. People are losing their shirts. Uh, improper health care, so people not being able to get the proper procedures done or treatments in regards to cancer, things of that nature. Uh, it's treatable. It's not doomsday. I have echoed that in some of my statements. Um, and then we get down to the rights, and we'll touch on the rights a little bit later on. What is the biggest misconception of the no more lockdown movement? What do you think might have someone back away from it that otherwise might move forward. Maybe you'd like to dispel something that you have seen popping up kind of like a myth. Well, I, I, I don't know if there's any misconceptions. There's obviously there's, there's people on the opposing side that will um, distort things and whatnot, but, but let's, let's start with this, I think, factual component. Um, and, and there's been many people, many credible um and the science is overwhelming here. 
that mm-hmm. the lockdowns are causing far more injury, far more damage and harm to our society and to individuals than the virus. Okay. Uh, and we've seen this everything from, you know, Dr. Richard Chavez, the former medical officer of health, came out with a powerful letter uh, a week or two about this. Um, you know, the Great Barrington Declaration, there, um, the, even the WHO themselves said that lockdowns should be the last resort. Um, well, you know, and, and we see this, the, uh, the report out of um, Milton last week where um, uh, there's been a 162% increase in suicide deaths. Um, you know, and, and there's just, and, and people who contact me, and, and, and again, the evidence is overwhelming, who are not getting needed medical attention. They're not getting in to see their family doctors. They're not getting the diagnostics done to do early interventions to have. Uh, and, and these are not people that are any risk to COVID, but their health is being impacted significantly. But I would also say, you know, is the biggest thing for me is um, the damage that we're doing to our children. Okay, as as somebody with four adult children, I have six grandchildren, and and I hear from especially mothers so much, um, uh, but from all quarters, like. Making little kids fearful of life, uh, making them and, and hearing these stories about they're being kids, little kids being preoccupied with death and preoccupied with the, the danger that they pose to their parents and their playmates, uh, you know, that they're having to wear masks because these little kids are, could kill others. And, and this is, I, you know, I don't believe we'll ever be able to quantify the damage that we're doing to our youth, Jason. Um, and but it's it's hurtful. It's hurtful to see uh, what we're doing. And you know, you know, and I haven't even touched on the economics of this as well. But but that's there as well. Uh, you know, I've talked to so many business owners whose businesses have been closed up, and I and I look back over my lifetime to what would have happened as a young child if the government came in and told my mom and dad um, that they couldn't open up their TV repair store and couldn't feed their nine kids and couldn't feed and and shelter them and couldn't pay for the mortgage. Um, You know, like what, what would have happened to them? Right. What would have happened to, and, and so many people are in this, this high, this very precarious position of wanting to be law-abiding, uh, wanting to be respectful, um, but the government is preventing them from, from earning a living and providing for their families while, while also terrorizing their children with these, with these false fears. Because the evidence is overwhelming again that that kids and healthy people are not at risk. Um, right. It's overwhelming that masks are ineffective. We know that the myth of of asymptomatic spread has been discredited through many many uh, peer reviewed studies. Um, 
Um, so why are we doing all this damage to so many people in society? Right. Well, Randy, I think part of the problem in regards to the masks is that there seems to be this split. And then it really just comes down to the individual to pick a side. There's some people that say masks work. And then now in the States, they're saying wear three. And then there's, you know, just as qualified, if not more qualified individuals saying don't. Don't you find that the, the media is really confusing the message more than anything? Oh, absolutely. And, and, and they're confusing the message because they won't allow an honest discussion on it. I was talking to an Ottawa doctor yesterday, Dr. Omani. And she was telling me about these uh, these children coming into their physicians with blisters and 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 all kinds of facial scarring and and health problems from wearing a mask, um, and, and 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 the doctors because they're so fearful of, of of being shamed will not provide max exemptions to these little kids even though it's abundantly apparent that the mass is causing significant harm. Um, you know, like, you know, I, like I have no, no problem. If somebody wants to wear a mask, go ahead and wear a mask. But, but here's the flip side, the corollary to that, Jason, which I think is important for people to understand. And if you're out wearing a mask and you're a healthy man or woman or child, what you're doing is you're telling everybody else around you that you believe the government narrative, that you are dangerous, that others are dangerous. And, and that obedience, that, that acquiescence demonstrates that, well, yes, if you yourself agree that you're dangerous, well, then, then that justifies these further restrictions and lockdowns on everybody else. Um, I've not worn a mask. Um, I've not had any problems. My family doesn't wear a mask. Um, you know, I would never, never allow, and my, and thankfully my daughter and, and son, uh, they will not allow their, their, their children to wear a mask. Um, and, you know, as I said in that tweet, um, you know, the, the other night with picture, like, um, I'm not going to play these games because at the end of the day, the risk that we are imposing on society with this harm is far too great to consider it a game. Uh, it's far too dangerous. Okay. So you just mentioned the social, the social media. And I myself sometimes pose questions online that kind of dances right in the middle. And I like to ask these questions opposed to having an opinion. And I know how quickly one side or the other can jump on something that I say and distort it to where I have to kind of infuse myself and, and delegate. Now, obviously, you don't have the time to do that. It's much more vast. The stuff that you're doing is making it across the country opposed to something that's just on my wall. And you had recently made a post and the big word said COVID is a hoax. And I was reading through the comments and there were a lot of people that were like, yes, it's a, it's a hoax, et cetera. And we've already acknowledged that we don't think 
it's a hoax that COVID is a thing. But with your social media reach and the things that you say, and with the deterioration of people's mental health in today's COVID landscape, are you in any way, shape, or form concerned that something that you might post might be twisted, maybe acted upon in a negative fashion, something of that nature? Well, first off, I would say uh, there's hardly a thing that I uh, that I post uh, that isn't uh, that some people won't distort or twist, um, you know. And anybody who thinks that social media is the uh, is the great medium of of truth and, and accuracy in the comments on it or or anything like that, um, it, you know, that's just foolish. But let me just qualify this because words are important. I retweeted somebody else's tweet, right? Uh, so, and, and that was a, an image, I don't know where exactly where it was, but it was an image of somebody had unfurled a banner across uh, a bridge uh, so that people driving under the, uh, the underpass would see this big banner that said, you know, stop the government tyranny. COVID is a hoax, right? And, and there was other parts of that message as well. And, and people need to, um, um, to look at the whole message, um, you know, and, and, and I would say, you know, I know, and everybody I uh, deal with knows, okay, we have a coronavirus. It's true. It's factual. It's here. Um, and, and we already said this, and it's, and it's a threat and it's a danger to very ill and elderly people. And it's not a threat to healthy people. It's not a threat to about 99% of the people. Um, you know, and, and our government has even said 80% of the people who present themselves with a positive PCR test have no symptoms whatsoever. Um, and, and we also have had the deputy minister Deputy Medical Officer of Health in Ontario say we have at least 50% false positives with the PCR test. These are facts. Um, so what is a hoax is our government's response to COVID. That, yeah, and, and I know that that may not be fully conveyed in a 10-letter um, banner, but what was important about that banner and why I retweeted it, Jason, is that it's a reflection of the public's dissatisfaction with the government response to COVID. And, right. and we're seeing it. People are um, being encouraged. People are being motivated. Um, and, and they're rejecting the dogma and they're rejecting the, the, the narrative because these facts and the evidence and the data, the science tells us what what we're doing as a response to COVID is wrong, right? We're, we're not actually following the science. We are following some public health bureaucrats. That's what we're following. The science is clear that what we're doing is wrong. Right. I think you definitely have a point in regards to where a lot of people feel the same, which is where 
government has kind of botched this. Yeah. Like, you know, the rules and regulations are one thing, but just how they've rolled this whole thing out, it's kind of, I guess, a little bit discouraging that we're one year through this and it doesn't seem like we're any further ahead than well, at any not. other point. You know, we just keep on taking two steps back. And, um, and Neil Ferguson from the uh, United Kingdom's Imperial College, the guy who who came out with the the original apocalyptic predictions and just think about this for a moment. Like, yeah, according to his figures, we were going to have 350,000 deaths in Canada, um, you know, from, from COVID last spring, you know. And instead, there are 20,000 deaths, not 350,000. And the 20,000 deaths with COVID mirror and are very similar to the same amount of deaths that we have every year. From respiratory viruses and the same mortality rate that we have every year and we also know that our hospitalization rates are the same or less than every other year um but but neil ferguson said this week in in an interview is that we'll be doing this again we're we're not coming out of this a year from now he said we may have a marginal improvement in our freedoms a year from now right um so Governments are lying to people. And this is, we should understand this. Um, you know, this two weeks, this temporary removal of our freedoms for two weeks to flatten the curve. And here we are near a year later. And they're still telling us it's only temporary. But, but, be, but now we have variants. Now we have the UK variant and the Brazil variant and the and the South American variant. And, um, you know, people need to realize if we don't speak up, this is a permanent and perpetual pandemic, right? Just as, just as the federal government said in 1917, when they said we needed to bring in a temporary tax called an income tax to pay for the war. Um, that's still with us today. And the old adage is there is nothing more permanent than a temporary government program. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're facing that. Now, we've covered a lot of stuff. Is there, is there any chance, do you believe that you can be wrong on any of these things? Are you convinced without a shadow of a doubt you've seen enough evidence that, that proves all your points to where... It's not even a matter of just being 99% sure. You are absolutely convinced that you just cannot be wrong on these things. Or are you saying we just at least have to further the conversation? Well, first off, we need to have the conversation. Right. Okay. And it's through the conversation and that testing, as I said at the beginning, uh, robustly testing one's arguments mm -hmm. is how we find what is the best outcome. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, you know, there, there may be some, um, some other things that we can consider and do um, that would be more effective uh, in, in protecting those elderly in long-term care. But we're not having that discussion. Uh, you know, so, you know, what I'm not wrong on is what the facts and the evidence demonstrate, right? You know, some conclusions may not be... Uh, may or could be improved or, or, or may be wrong 
you know, it, it, to call when 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 a country has the same mortality rate as every year and the same hospitalization rate as every year, how can we possibly draw a conclusion that that is a pandemic mm-hmm. when nothing has changed? You know, the same outcomes are being experienced. So, you know, um, you know, but I think the important thing is, you know, we have rejected all of our historical experiences and evidence in dealing with a virus. We've rejected everything that we've ever learned um, uh, in, in all the pandemic plans that were in place prior to um, 2020. Um, and instead, we adopted a never before tried experiment of taking away people's freedoms, of isolating them, of confining them, of closing down our economy, closing down our education system. Um, and, and we've never done that in the past. And there was no, there was no evidence to suggest that that would be effective. We threw away all our Western values of, of, of freedoms and responsibilities, and we adopted measures that the totalitarian communist regime in China suggested that we should. Um, and that, uh, you know, it, it, that is, it's absolutely wrong. Uh, Colonel Redmond has put out some really powerful, uh, he's retired Colonel from the Canadian military who has been very outspoken about how we threw away all our pandemic plans and adopted things that we know don't work. Okay. Now there's one thing I want to touch on that was considered to be conspiracy at one point. And we seem to be having a lot of these types of things pop up over the past year. Things that were just kind of spoken of, they were tossed off to the side, and then all of a sudden they're right here in front of our face. And one of those would be the Great Reset. And when I heard of it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds legit. And I know it's something that has been making the rounds of the World Economic Forum for many, many years, if not decades. And now it's starting to surface amongst a whole bunch of world leaders that are speaking out on it, even some saying that they won't participate in it. What is the knowledge that you yourself have about the Great Reset and how real is it, in your opinion? Well, um, this may come as a shock to people, um, but there are a lot of people in this world, a lot of people in our country, uh, a lot of people in your city who believe that world government, one government, would be better off than national governments and local governments. You know, they, they fundamentally and truly believe that. Um, you know, I remember I had a science teacher back in the 1970s who thought there, there should only be one world government. So this is not, um, and, and the United Nations is the great proponent and, and mover of these thoughts. And, and just think there's thousands and thousands, tens of thousands and maybe hundreds of thousands of people who are engaged with the UN um, who 
you know, who advance these things through like Agenda um, 21 and um, and the UN Declaration on Human Habitation. And, um, you know, they keep coming out with all these things. And, and essentially, uh, this is the, the vehicle to promote socialism and collective thought. And, um, and a lot of them don't like capitalism. A lot of them don't like individual freedoms. And, um, you know, and that's the form that they speak about. Um, so are there people that think that the Great Reset is is good? I think if you listen to Pierre, uh, Justin Trudeau's comments, it sounds like he really wants to have the Great Reset. Um, and, you know, and this will be, and I think we can see this very clearly now after a year of um, COVID restrictions, Jason, there is a a very significant transfer of wealth happening from the lower and middle classes and, and moving up. The, the wealth is being transferred. Um, you know, we our federal government last year took on an additional $400 billion in debt. Uh, much of it um, created uh, through bonds with central mortgage and housing. Um, and, and we're seeing uh, huge, huge increases in housing prices happening over the last year. Very, very um, um, not, that's not intuitive. Uh, you know, with the economy collapsing, we're seeing great increases in rising um, in, in real estate prices. And, um, you know, uh, we're moving into an era where it's going to become a increasingly difficult, if not impossible, for people of moderate and lower incomes um, uh, to ever think of having a house or and very much difficulty in, in having any housing. Uh, um, and we're seeing, you know, great uh, shifts in wealth to the big telecom companies and um, and big tech companies uh, as, as others are being hollowed out. So um, it, it's interesting, you know, and, and a real contradiction that we see so many people who would generally be identified as on the left or on the progressive side of the political spectrum, who are advancing and advocating for these COVID policies, which are benefiting those very institutions and entities that the left generally dislike or hate. So, you know, the, the big body, the Amazons, the Walmart, uh, uh, Facebook, um, you know, all these big pharma, um, they're, they're doing very, very well uh, as the small business people and uh, the people on Main Street are, are hurting significantly. Right, so do you think this is designed to bring on a great reset? I don't know if design is the right word. I would say that there's a great many entities and organizations and people who are exploiting COVID for their their personal gains or their ideologies. Yes, I, I, I think there are, um, we're seeing that very clearly that there is an exploitation of this fear and this hysteria um, um, without a doubt. 
Okay, and I'm almost up on my 45 minutes. And this is, uh, it's been a time. It's been a time, Randy. Uh, <laughs> and it's been a very difficult interview for me to put together. And I feel it important for me to, to say this is that, you know, there were individuals telling me that I shouldn't smile too much. I shouldn't be too friendly. Uh, like all these horrible things uh, that, that I found kind of dehumanizing. And it's not to say that I agree or disagree. I definitely don't want, want lockdowns. I'll tell you that. I don't. And I don't want to wear a mask. I don't. It doesn't mean... It doesn't mean I don't, <laughs> you know, wear one. I, like, you know, Randy, I'll be quite honest. I'm one of those guys. I wear my masks when I, when I go in somewhere because it's just, if it makes other people feel safe, fine. I don't think it's doing me any justice. I don't think it's keeping me safe personally. Uh, but I respect everyone's, everyone's values. And mm -hmm. I think it's wonderful that we live in a country where, you know, there are people that are willing to do so. Um, So I want to try to end on something positive. <laughs> and, I, and I do want to thank you for your time. And you've been nothing but a, a gentleman to me. And you've been, you've been graceful. And I think you've been very fair in all your responses. It just really comes down to a matter of people agreeing or disagreeing. But at the very least, let's, let's have an open dialogue with one another one lady said that I shouldn't even have you on the program because I'm giving you a platform. But the most dangerous thing that we can do right now during COVID is to be silent and to silence people. It's important to have the conversation. And Randy, I'm going to name three people. And I just want you to quickly tell me what you think about them and what they could just be doing better, kind of in a snapshot, because I know you can go on forever about something like this but just a snapshot of what they could do better. Uh, so Tam, what could Tam be doing better? Constructive, Randy, constructive. I, well, that's, um, you know, I don't know where, what she could be doing better uh, would not be, she gets paid a lot of money. She's a professional. She's been hired into the highest uh, office in our land uh, apparently is a public health expert. Um, and I would say um, she should start listening to somebody else other than the who, and that she should start talking to actual doctors and actual people who are witnessing the harm of her policies. And that, and I would add one more thing that she could read the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and become knowledgeable about that. Okay, Doug Ford. Doug Ford is, um, um, needs to remember that he is the premier of the province. Uh, back in March of last year, he said, um, and this is on the record, we're going to take the advice of public health. He said, we will discuss it, but Dr. Williams and public health will make the decisions. That's a, an abdication of his role as premier. Um, Dr. Williams should be providing the device. The legislative assembly 
and the premier and the elected people need to be the ones who make the decisions. Okay. What could Trudeau do better? Yeah, stay in the cottage. <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, that was a little bit flippant, but listen, um, you know, what we, these are symptomatic, Jason, of what happens when a society elects people based on celebrity status and, and name recognition um, or family lineage um, um, or charisma, um, but have no substance to themselves. And, um, and I've been, you know, um, I don't believe our prime minister has substance. Um, um, but I did want to say, you mentioned something about people, about smiling and, uh, um, and, um, and there's people who, um, and I've heard this and I've, and I've seen it display on display. Um, and this is something I think people need to examine a little bit more, um, Jason. You know, I've had people on my social media because I'm a happy guy. Okay, I smile a lot. I like to have fun, even even during times of that are not good. You need to find moments of levity and humor and and enjoy life. Um, but I've had people on my social media complain that there's pictures of me smiling with people. Okay, and, and I've seen this firsthand walking on the streets of Main Street. You know um, that that people are not happy and, and that expressing fun and humor is, is not acceptable. Like there's something like, as if like, you know, we're gonna catch COVID more likely if we're, if we're uh, smiling and having fun. And, and I've seen this real significant surge and increase in what I would say is animosity and, uh, and I think it's been promoted by the, all these governments um, uh, to to report and snitch on your neighbor and and see if you can find fault with others and report on them. And and this is a dangerous path um, for our society. And, and people ought to look at this. Um, and just as the person who said to you that you ought not to have me on your podcast. Um, that I should be silenced. This is this um, this dehumanizing conformity that we're moving to, and, and let's not forget, Parliament is where we debate public policy. Parliament is where we discuss these things and and give it legitimacy, not at some unseen COVID command table with some unknown. Uh, bureaucrats, and but but here's the, the point I want to make: the root word of parliament is from the French word parler, is to speak, right? And and we learned this hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago that uh, to speak is to find the truth. Um, anybody who wants to prevent and silence others do not want to find the truth or the facts or the best outcomes.
And Randy, I'm going to leave you with one more question. Yes. What could Randy Hillier do better? Well, I could spend more time with my wife and my family. Um, that's, uh, you know, fighting these lockdowns and fighting for the future of our kids um, consumes a great deal of time. Um, and, um, and I'm not as good a, a husband and a father um, when I take so much time fighting for the future. Mm -hmm. Well, Randy, um, it was, it was interesting. <laughs> it was, it was interesting. And I, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your trust in willing to come on a podcast and speak with me. My goal with this interview was to let people potentially see a little bit of a different side of you. And I, I think that was achieved. It's not to necessarily have to agree with Randy. That's not the goal. But through people that maybe otherwise wouldn't listen to what you have to say, will listen based on the fact that it's me now being an independent news source, which is crazy, uh, that you know you heard it from the horse's mouth right here. And thank you very much for taking the time, Randy Hillier. You have a great day. Jason, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, and it's nice to see a smiling face uh, as well. And uh, I enjoyed the conversation. Look forward to uh, uh, seeing what other people have to say as well.